podcast that's about uh, all sorts of different things. This is a podcast um, that I did with Debbie Henderson, and it's about her second trip to the Kakama refugee camp. It was an awesome mission trip. Uh, she was one of those people who was in that little fender bender slash uh, terrible rollover accident, and she's just got a cool take on all of that. We talk about all kinds of stuff. We talk about uh, the church and fellowship and community in the refugee camp and just how, how foreign things are there and how, how challenging it is to transition back to this world, which uh, I think surprises a lot of people, just how, how different they are and how long it takes to uh, do re-entry, is what we call it. Reentry back into a world of plenty of wealth and, and of excess and, and resources and all of that. So, uh, very cool conversation. Um, very, very awesome young lady. But, uh, anyways, without further ado, here's Debbie Henderson. So, well, it's something that we drink in Kenya. It's um, uh, the Java Joe's Burundi roast. It's Keith's favorite. We were downtown earlier this week, so. Nice. Yeah. And nice. I'll rest assured it was made with 150 ppms for the water. <laughs> <laughs> and the exact right temperature, which is what, 190? I don't know. See, Eric makes it. He, like pre-mixes his water and <laughs> yeah I don't know I love what temperature it. is so this is this is <clears throat> compliments of Eric he yeah it is fantastic water. holy cow and then um then I have to pollute mine with half and half especially, you put half and half yeah, <laughs> oh, no. especially if it's a dark roast <laughs> this is too much for me is it does that drive Eric insane? He, that's what he says. He says, I pollute my coffee. Yeah. That, that's his, yeah, he can't stand it. <sighs> yeah, I'm with him on this. Or it's, it's like get a really nice steak and put A1 sauce on it. Like, oh, no, I don't no. think that's quite the same. Yeah, but with the same. A, no, with a light roast, I'll drink it black. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. yeah. I don't drink that much coffee. I drink uh, coffee when I go to Kenya. I feel like this is becoming a, a, a coffee podcast, and I don't mind. <laughs> I think that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> Because I have learned more about coffee in the last five years than I thought was a possibility. I, I didn't know that there was this much to know about <laughs> coffee. <laughs> I was like, it's the stuff you get at gas stations. <laughs> and, yeah. I, and I will be honest, like I can tell it's, it's like with food. I can tell what really good food is, but I don't need it. Like I'll eat oh, yeah. garbage. Yeah. I don't care. And, and I can drink the worst coffee on the planet and be like, that's coffee. I can't drink bad coffee anymore. That yeah. sounds funny, given that I put half and half in my coffee, but I won't. I won't get. I won't drink gross coffee. I see. I've done this with a lot of stuff. Like I, I went through this uh, time where me and a bunch of guys in college started to get into like good wine, and it really it spawned from a a, a time when uh, I was dating Joni and wanted to go on a really nice date. And I talked to a guy who I knew was a, a nerd in wine, one of my professors, my Greek yeah. professor. And I said, um, I'd like to be able to pick out a nice bottle of wine. And he got all excited. He's like, oh, we should start a wine club. And like, and I was like, dude, I don't care. 
<laughs> I'm whatever. just trying to get one nice yeah. bottle to yeah, this exactly. gal. So, um, <laughs> so he, he did, he's like, well, come over to my house and, um, I'll, you know, I'll pull a couple of bottles from my cellar. So I was thinking like, I'm going to spend 50 to a hundred bucks, which in college is a lot of money. Yeah. In reality, I went to his house and we drank probably $700 worth of wine. <laughs> oh my goodness. And, uh, for free. He was a collector. Yeah. Big time. He just, he thought it was a great thing and, and wanted to pass that on. So then it turned into me and about four or five guys in college who kind of got into it. Okay. So then we went on to the seminary and this professor knows uh, a professor or two at the seminary and said, I'm going to hook you guys up with these guys so you can keep doing this. That turned into when I left about 20 guys. And we would all throw in 10, 15, 20 bucks, depending on what we were doing. And we'd get these bottles of wine that were way out of our league. I mean, yeah. the, the least expensive was probably a $45 bottle of wine, which again, in seminary is insane. And then we do a, a big hitter night once a year where we'd all throw in a hundred bucks. So we're, we're drinking bottles of wine, um, Lafitte's, Rothschild's, uh, I all mean, just red, in, I'm sure. Yeah. You're kind of very, a, red, a red wine snob, I noticed. Yeah. Very, well, yeah. And see, that's, that's why, <laughs> but, but it, that, all of that leads to the fact that I'll drink a $7 bottle of crap. I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> I can tell the difference and I don't care. <laughs> so it's fine. That's helpful. Yeah. I appreciate it, the good stuff. I'll, I'll drink, um, garbage whiskey. If I have to, like, I, I'm okay with that. Like fireball. Fireball. Oh, <laughs> that was the worst. Yeah. If I Mike did, is listening to this, we, we do love you, Mike. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I didn't realize until we got back that Lori had some caramel whiskey along. Yeah. It's, it's tasty. I mean, it's, it's uh, like, uh, it has its place. <laughs> I would have preferred it over the fireball. I probably but, would have also yeah. preferred that. Over it was the really sweet though. Yeah. And the, the fireball is just sticky. Yes. Like that is yeah. I think the caramel weirdest, stuff probably is too. Probably but, is so too. I tried it for the first time at Joanne's house Yeah, last week and it was, it was fun. Yeah. And of course, we were talking about your first experience in the Kakama right. refugee camp. Second, second experience. <laughs> no, was that your second when we had the fireball? Oh, the fireball, yeah. That was the first. Yeah, the first. Yeah. yeah. How was that trip? The first let's, one or let's, the second? Let's just recap. First time we went to Kakama, oh, it was... overwhelming. Just pretty much thought about the Good Samaritan story for a year after that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hard to get that out of your head once you see that. Yep. Yeah, but just kind of wrapping my head around, like, I mean, I feel like for, like, six months after coming home, you're still coming home. Oh, gosh, yeah. Yeah, and especially after the first one, because you're just making sense of everything that you saw and realizing that, like, we live in a culture where we fix things, and there's a problem, and we find a solution, and um, it's not that way there. Or if it is that way, it's the efficiency of how solutions come about is much different. Yeah. Yeah. I, I feel like, like the most efficient they are there is like when they tie, I don't know, 10 jerry cans to a bike and <laughs> cart their water back to their house. Like that's as efficient as they get. Yeah. Right. <laughs> you just made me think, so I have to fix a board on my fence. A single slat has come off and I have to decide if I'm going to put the old one back on I'm going to go buy a new one. If I buy a new one, I have to stain it and it's not going to look exactly the same. Or should I just do like a whole section or just should I do my whole fence? And they're like, 
if they have a hole in their fence, they have to plant a new tree. Yeah. <laughs> we have too many options here. Yeah. Yeah. They have to plant a, a plant in the ground, not exactly a tree. And that will grow eventually to be part of their fencing around their complex. And yeah. that's. They have one choice. Yeah. I guess they could choose to not patch the hole. You got that. Yeah. That's an option. Yep. But I have like five options within a five minute drive of my house. Yeah. And then what happens to me is I feel paralyzed because I'm like, I don't know which one to choose when any of the solutions would be perfectly fine. And that's, I, I think, a big part of um, the the weird shift over almost not not envying their position, but there is something about the lack of stress and anxiety, mm-hmm. you know, where like, I've, I've just got a million things to do today. Well, they don't. They have nothing to do today, right. which is the opposite and bad also, but it's a different sort of bad. That's honestly one of the hard, hardest things for me about coming home. We went to, my parents wanted to take the kids and I out for sushi the day, like the first full day that we were back. First of all, every place I was, it just felt freezing cold. It's it <laughs> it just like every, every room was like being in a nice dress. So the <laughs> restaurant was freezing cold. And we sit down and my mom says, why don't you order for the table? Which is a completely normal thing for her to say to me at the sushi restaurant that we go to a lot and we know the menu. And I just said, I took one look at the menu and I just, I, I got all choked up and I said, I, I, I don't think you understand how overwhelming this is for me. And I can't, there are too many options on here for me. And I, I pretty much know the menu, right? but I just felt paralyzed. And I, I said, I have to leave the table and I, I left and it feels that way. Definitely for, you know, at least like two weeks. I feel like I'm still a little bit in that oh, mode for sure. where it's just like, um, choice overload. Yeah. Too many choices. Too many things happening too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like the sensory overload constant. And and I don't think it's we're just des- movement. Yeah. It like feels like there's yeah. too much movement. And we're not designed this way. I mean, I don't think humans are designed. I think, I think our brains are highly adaptable, but this isn't like our, our native mode to live as Americans. Um, one of my favorite things on this trip was Josh asked me, he goes, what do they do all day as we're walking around? And I go, <laughs> This I, just, yeah. I put my hands out. <laughs> I right. was like, "This is it." And he's like, "No, but like, where do they?" And I go, "Right, well, where and what and and how and hmm? yeah, this is it." And you're looking at it. And they they do very little chores. Um, not not because they don't want to do chores. It's because there's laundry. There's but there's very little laundry. Mm-hmm. Um, so we two years running have uh seen this little girl wearing that you and I dress that is just hilarious because that's where Joanne went to school. And so, you know, it was, it was ironic and and fun that we saw her the first year, the second year, like, Oh, there she is. What a coincidence. She's wearing that same dress this year, same dress. And I think it started to sink in. Oh, that's all her clothes. Yeah. And she hasn't grown much in three years. She has not. Yeah. There was um there was a little boy that we came across um the last day Kakama one which that just was like a spectacular maze. I mean I I really was like do not dawdle and get behind cuz you will get lost and you won't be able to find your way back. No. <laughs> nope. <laughs> but we found this little boy was kind of following us and I asked to take his picture. He was super shy. Um and then I asked him how old he was and he looked like he was maybe a little bit bigger. <clears throat> than Oren, who's almost six, who's small for his age. Yeah. Um, 
the little boy was 12, mm. two years older than Gabrielle. And that just, I, sh- I showed the kids the picture and they just couldn't believe, they, they didn't understand, how is that possible? He's, you know, Gabrielle's like, he's older than me. Well, when you just don't have enough nutrition, you're not going to grow the way you should. Nope. And that just, I mean, I'm sure with a lot of the kids, I'm assuming that they are younger than they actually are just because of poor nutrition. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's, there's even the, you know, genetics will play a role and we, we do see a lot of tall Sudanese and South Sudanese and that is still a problem. I mean, that's, you know, your body pushing to grow to a, to a height genetically yeah. where you don't have the nutrition really to support it. So you, you get a lot of other complications. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, but um, kind of going back to how last year felt different and like our, how we're so obsessed with productivity and mm-hmm. schedule. And I found this year to be a lot more refreshing, just like the downtime that we had in Kakama. Last year I felt so impatient with it. Like we need to be talking to more people. We need to be, you know, having more conversations, doing more this, doing more that. Like we're just sitting here waiting. But that, that's just... That just was part of it this yeah. year. Like I didn't feel frustrated. I wasn't like wondering when everything is going to start. You know, here it's like you have you have uh, twenty minutes of downtime, and you're like, I'm going to quick go run this errand. I'll be right back. Right. And then we'll meet up and have our conversation, have our group time. Right. And there you just you just sit there, and you're just there, and with them, you know, and like with the women, at least we can't really converse unless there is a translator there. Mm-hmm. And so even in just, the downtime, I kind, of, I kind of started to really like that, like <clears throat> that you, your brain can just have space to rest yeah. and, and like think of something or not think of anything, but just yeah. here our brains are constantly turned on. And I used to, I used to work hard in those quiet times to, to even fill that with something like maybe, uh, maybe I'm going to try and, and do some with, with some kid like mime stuff or point at this and say, I like, I like your, your shoes or I, I like this shirt or, you know, point at that and, and just try and um, bridge the, the language barrier with, with physical movement and stuff. Mm-hmm. And that used to be like, like I'd work hard at it. And now it's like, I just make eye contact and, you know, maybe smile with, with somebody right. <laughs> and, um, they might wave a little bit and I go, I just did more with that than trying to be like, this is beautiful. What is this? How do right. you say this in, in newer, you know, like how is this? And they kind of just want to be around us. Like the, the first day that when we finally got there Wednesday and right away, there's these little kids. I mean, they were hanging out with us. Well, everyone was figuring out what the plan was for the day and that week. But then we set out and, Lori and I each immediately had a kid on each hand. They just wanted to walk with us mm-hmm. and just kind of be around these mzungu. It was, <laughs> it was really sweet. It's it's sweet, <laughs> and it it makes sense if you if you recognize what the like the driver of their problems. The all of this is you know um, away from home, alone, forgotten, in the middle of nowhere. They want to go home. They don't want to be there. Uh, they feel, uh, you know, abandoned and then somebody shows up and they go, I'm not alone. Mm-hmm. I'm not abandoned. Somebody came. That's, that is the most important thing. Yeah. It's, it's not, um, we need to <clears throat> build a bigger, better house. Like they don't, well, they want to go home. <laughs> like put, they don't want to put roots down yeah. in, even though they are, I mean, their children are born there and. 
it, I mean, there's generations that have been born there. So they, they do have roots in this camp, but that's not how they, they feel about it. And even like relocation. So I, I work with some of those same refugees back here in Des Moines by a really cool God-designed coincidence. Uh, some of those same people from Kakama are in Des Moines. That is so cool. And I, and I met them after having gone to Kakama. <laughs> so yeah. I could show pictures and be like, yeah, I've been there. And they're like, that's that's my pastor. That's my sister. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, I know. I've, I talked well, to them. And so when you told John Jock's church that, was that the first that, that yeah. they heard yep. about the people that you'd met here? Blew them away. And, yeah. and then um, so the the <clears throat> pastor here, Pastor, pastor Simon Yek, Yek, I can never quite say his last name right, he is good friends with... Well, and I say good friends. I think it may be a relative of John Jock's wife. Oh, okay. So they may be related somehow. Okay. So they were super excited to hear that, that I know them. Yeah. And in here, the the generation of refugees here in America want to go back to South Sudan. Mm-hmm. But their kids are pretty cool being here. So they're facing completely different challenges than completely. the people in Yeah. So, so even this... Um, Let's get people out of Kakama and and let's get refugees into other places to resettle that are better has a really significant downside. Because mm-hmm. we got a lot of refugees here who are very upset that now they've got children and soon will have grandchildren. Well, probably some of them have grandchildren who don't even know the newer language. Mm-hmm. So are they going to go back? to Sudan or South Sudan. Right. And I don't think our culture really brings people up in a way. I mean, it's it's perfectly acceptable and fine for families to be spread out across the United States. That's how my family is. We don't, like, it seems good no. and, yeah, normal. And we sought our own opportunities and, you know, are building our lives in different places. And that... Yeah, we still feel connected and close, but they would not, they would not consider that to be a close knit family. Yeah. And it's like weird when, when people ask, where are you from? Because that question has changed in the Mm -hmm. last 50 years. I go, oh. Yeah. We say we live in (laughs) Iowa. Yeah. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Are you guys from Louisville? Are you from Bermuda? Where where are you from? (laughs) This is where we currently live. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) I, I've lived in, in a lot of places too. I moved a lot growing up. You know, where am I from? I kind of say Minnesota. Yeah. And that's where I was born and spent uh, a fair amount of time. But I don't know. Mm-hmm. Then they would say, these are my people. And they would expect their children to say they are from Sudan, South Sudan, Ethiopia, even though they've never been there. They were yeah. born here. Uh, they, they have no connection. That's the only home they've ever known. Yeah. The, the kids that are in Kakama. It yeah. just is mind blowing. Mm-hmm. And then to have their parents telling them probably this isn't your home, but this is the only place they've ever known. Right. Someday we want to go home. You mean here? Right. <laughs> no. <laughs> right. Just over there. Just over there. <laughs> just across the mountains, <laughs> giant desert, take a left at the river. Oh man. Speaking of those mountains, when we were trying to get to Calo Bay. Yeah. I could t- I knew like our vehicle was in front and I was like, we have gone way too far north. I even said to the driver, mm-hmm. I was like, we've gone too far. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure we need to turn around. <laughs> <laughs> like we're getting too close to that mountain range. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And pretty soon things are going to get illegal. Yeah. There are no other cars out here on the road. I was pretty nervous. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Pretty soon it's going to get illegal. International incidents. <laughs> 
trespass or illegal no, I immigration. Don't want to get kidnapped. <laughs> yeah, or just busted for sneaking across the border. Right. Even if you're like, I'm sorry, I didn't try. I still haven't seen. Keith said he put a pin down where we were. Yeah. I haven't seen how close we were, but. Uh, I haven't seen it either, but I can tell you that we were probably less than four miles. Mm. I'm glad I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cause I was, I was with Keith and we're like looking at each other. I'm like, this is not, Yeah. Like, no, this isn't, we're not right. This isn't, this isn't the right spot. We went too far. Um, so then when we turned around, he yeah. put the pin down, but the, where we normally go is only 11 miles away. From, oh, okay. I think it's South Sudan or Uganda. I can't remember which one is closer. Yeah. So within 11 miles, and we went further than that. Yeah. Too close for me. <laughs> 11 miles is pretty close. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's doable in a day on yeah, foot. <laughs> right. Yep. It's just a hike. Mm-hmm. <laughs> which is one of their problems. So this year's this year's trip, was it a good trip? I thought so. Yeah. Did you have fun? It's different. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's like being on vacation. <laughs> You know, <laughs> totally get it. Right. Time I mean, there the are, I, they said this last year and I really feel it again this year that the team aspect is just awesome. I mean, it really is. If, to me, it feels like, like the goal of discipleship that we're starting this yeah. fall. It's we build relationships and there's time and space to do that on this trip. And, mm-hmm. you know, like on a Sunday at church, you, you don't have a ton of time to like go deep into right. a person's life. And so that aspect is really fun. There were just different challenges this year. The whole getting there. <laughs> just <laughs> it's like it's like your kids on a road trip. When are we gonna get there? Yeah, like I know. just We've was, never had troubles like yeah, that. I've never I mean I've traveled a lot in my life. I've never had travel problems like that before. It was it's, insane. Yeah, it was. I remember being in the Paris airport and Chris said, um, there's a reason that we're delayed. God will reveal the reason to us. Mm-hmm. And when she said that, it really made me mad. <laughs> <laughs> Shut up, Chris. <laughs> yeah, I just was like, that's not, it doesn't help me. I didn't say anything. I told her after we got back how I just was like trying to <laughs> not turn red and like stomp my feet and pout and throw a temper tantrum. <laughs> Yeah. But, I mean, that definitely was the case for me that um, God made it very clear why I was stuck in Paris, that he was going to make sure that I put my seatbelt on when we got to Lodwar. So there's that. Yep. And I and I really do think that you would have been, you and maybe um, me, just because where I was sitting, I would, I would have bounced around a lot had I not been awake. Yeah. And, and able to brace myself, but... Um, for for everybody listening and can't see, uh, Debbie's a, a little thing. <laughs> you could put her in your pocket. <laughs> I probably should have been the one sitting in the middle. <laughs> no, you have motion sickness though. You needed yeah. a window. Yeah, I don't care at, about motion sickness anymore. I will sit wherever there's a seat belt forward. <laughs> so how how tall are you? Like five four. Yeah. So yeah. just that distance that you would have traveled from seat to roof would have been enough to, to cause some damage. Mm-hmm. Um, we were all kind of smushed together in the back and didn't move around too much. I, I Peter Scotch braced against me um, and was, it sounds weird, but fortunate to be on the side that rolled first. So she went to her side and then, you know, on her head, not more like on her shoulder and neck yeah. and then over. So it was, 
she didn't whack against the ceiling. You'd have whacked against the ceiling. Yes. You'd yeah. Gone, you'd gone around that truck like a pinball. Yeah. I probably would have hit my head on the passenger window. Yeah. Oh, you'd been everywhere. Yeah. So that was, that was a good thing that being stuck in Paris actually did mean that you had your seatbelt on because. Yes. Because, um, as the adventure continued, uh, we got dropped off at the wrong hotel at two thirty in the morning. <laughs> there were four of us got dropped off, and before we could we could grab the vehicle that had dropped us off and tell them, "Hey, we're in the wrong hotel, right?" Because they all have the same name. It's like, how do you know which Ibis you're staying at? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so we we had to get another taxi, and the I mean, it was just comical. We're so exhausted in here. It's like Josh is never tired, except for when he's sleeping in the Paris airport. <laughs> but he says. You know, we're like, okay, we need to go somehow get to this other hotel. Well, I can just run there. <laughs> You're just going to run. You're just going to run to the hotel. I was like, Josh, we don't know where the hotel is. We don't have an address. <laughs> and by the way, it's the middle of the night. It's pitch or 3 a.m. in it's Paris. It's pitch black, yeah. yeah. No idea, like, what our surroundings really are. Just, to me, it looks like kind of an industrial part of town. Yeah, right. <laughs> but so we pile into our taxi, and there's three of us sitting in the back, and I'm in the middle. And the person to my left, or Josh starts putting on a seatbelt, and the person to my left says, I'm not going to put my seatbelt on. And I think a lot of times when I'm traveling, I don't really think about wearing right. a seatbelt. And Josh says, well, safety first. I'm putting my seatbelt on. And so then I just was like, oh, well, the seatbelt works. I'll put it on. And right. and I was glad because to me, when, as I was watching the driver, he looked like he was nodding off. Oh, geez. Like, <laughs> maybe it was just... Like my view of his eyes in the rearview mirror, but I was pretty happy that I was wearing my seatbelt then. Yeah. And then when we got to Lodor, I actually had two opportunities to put my seatbelt on because I kept getting moved to yeah. different vehicles. So first I was in the so-called air-conditioned vehicle. <laughs> and then, um, oh, somebody said, oh, that seat's taken. Someone's sitting there already. So then I went to the what looked to be the scariest vehicle to me, the open-air open one. Open-air one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which was so hard to climb into, especially in a skirt. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> And I get seated and I had already taken Dramamine and I was oh, like, geez. I'm going to fall out of this car. I'm going <laughs> to fall asleep. I'm going to fall out of the car. And then luckily Shara was like, oh, Debbie, you can't sit there. Go sit in the front seat of the scary, yeah. the scary car. And there was a seatbelt there and I put it on mm-hmm. and I just had Josh's voice in my head saying safety first. Mm-hmm. I cannot recall wearing a seatbelt the year before. No. Either we, we didn't have them or they didn't work or, I mean, a lot of times it's like two people are kind of sharing one seat. Right. So even if there is a seatbelt, you can't really use it. It's also this weird thing, um, like you were saying, it, it's not just like when you're traveling, but it, it feels like when you are it, getting in something that is commercial, like yeah, in yeah. the U.S., I, I don't. Like if you're at a bus. Yeah. You don't know. School buses don't have seatbelts. Yeah. Or like a shuttle at the shuttle airport. Don't have Unless you're Gabrielle and then she, she puts her seatbelt on on an airport shuttle bus. Do they have them? If they have them, she will put them on. I don't. I've never recalled looking. But I just like assume we have, they don't have them. Th- there are seatbelts on that kind of bus thing that we take in Nairobi. No one puts a seatbelt on. Yeah, there and the driving is crazy. It's slow. I mean, it's slower. Right. But we don't. You just assume you've got a professional driver, and that's gonna like nobody will hit a professional driver because they know. <laughs> like, I could be an idiot and drive crazy over here, but that's yeah. I've. I've always wondered that about seatbelts on school buses. Like, I, I guess they're big and yellow and people see them recognizable and all that kind of stuff or whatever. I don't know. But yeah, I will never 
not wearing my seatbelt in just anywhere. I mean, it's, I'm, <laughs> it's a habit here, of course, but yeah. it will always, because after we rolled, I just, I was in, I was in shock. I just could not believe that it didn't hurt. Like that's what had me so kind of rattled. Yes. Yeah. Just that I felt, um, completely held in. And the only thing that I felt was when the windshield broke and I felt glass go into my shoes mm-hmm. and that was it. Yeah. I was, I was impressed too. Um, you and I came out with zero. Yeah. Like, I wasn't sore the next day. I wasn't either. Yeah. I was like, <laughs> that was, <laughs> that was hard for me that we were just, <clears throat> we were all just so okay. You know, mm-hmm. even like the most serious of the injuries with Peter's torn up hand, yeah. It was still so minor. Super minor, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, had had we been in a place where they did stitches, <laughs> oh man, it would have been a lot better. Yeah, <laughs> I saw what his hand looked like. Yeah, um, one one of the nights that Laurie was changing the dressing, it was really. Yeah, I saw it. I mean, that's the first thing I did. It was like was, layers of skin. Yeah, I, I saw blood. So I hopped out to try and check. And when I, I, I just did that little circle around Peter to see where the blood was coming from. And I, and I saw it dripping off his hand. So I'm, I look, check his whole arm and there's no blood. You know, I'm, I'm thinking, man, if there's up by his arm, I'm, I'm actually yeah. remembering things like, I know Keith travels with the tourniquet. So like we can tourniquet an arm. We so, were well prepared. <laughs> yeah. But there's like, there's no blood below his elbow until all the way to his hands. Like, oh, your fingers are cut. Yeah. Well, that's not that bad. <laughs> and no. I, but looking at it, I, the skin was there. The, the flaps of skin. They could have, well, they couldn't have because they didn't have the expertise, but it could have been sewn on. Yeah, or cauterized, I think. Something. Yeah. But uh, they they just trimmed all that skin off and were like, meh. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> It'd be good. Yeah, there just were so many things about that that I feel like could have gone much worse. <laughs> yeah. Just uh, yeah. even, because I, when I first got out of the vehicle, I... I just took my seatbelt off and got out with like what I had in my lap, which was like my pillow and my phone. And then, um, I don't know, five seconds. It's hard to like the way time was moving. It's hard to know really how fast or slow things were happening. But to me, it seemed like not a very long period of time. And I went back to get my bag and then I saw Anne sitting and I thought she might, there might be something in her bag that she needs. That's the only reason why I picked it up Yeah, and walked it over to her and then I think shortly after that, you said someone had lifted your yeah. headphones and it was, it didn't even occur to me. Of course, now like in my rational mind, I think, yes, of course it was an opportunity for yep. them to just kind of get something that might be of value or um, whatever. And that, that wasn't going through my mind. It just was like, Oh, Anne might need something. Right. But if, I mean, all of her medication was in her bag yeah. and if it had sat for maybe 30 seconds more, it would have been gone. Sure. Sure. And and you lost a scarf and an empty money belt. Yes. That was the other thing that <laughs> it just seemed, I don't know, it just seemed like God was walking me through mm-hmm. the 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 steps that I needed to go through. Cause yeah, my my passport had been in my money belt when oh. we were flying. And then of course we get to Lodor and it's just like, oh, it's hot. So I take it off, but put everything into my purse, which I usually just have strapped yeah. around my body. Not here, not when I'm at home. I don't strap my purse around my body and like put my seatbelt on and drive around town. Right. <laughs> you know, right. like at home, my purse is just like on the seat next to me. But there, I I decided to keep it on my body because I has I had my passport in there. 
And I just think if that had been pulled out of my bag, if my money belt with my passport had been pulled out of my bag, it would have. Your trip is over. Yep. It just would have been. Yeah. It would have sucked so bad. Yep. You you turn around and you go back to to Nairobi and yeah. go to an embassy. And that's my vacation. <sighs> oh, <laughs> that would have been I mean and it and it, it may have ended it for the whole trip. Yeah. You <clears throat> were already we, so the trip was already so condensed. Our time in Kakamo was already yeah. so cut short. I mean, yep. it would have been, you know, we wouldn't have sent you back alone. I think I said this on Keith's podcast too. Like we wouldn't have sent you back by yourself. So at least part of the team had would have had to go back mm-hmm. and it and it we we tra- always travel with those copies of our passports for that very reason but it would have been like you know how fast things work yeah, yeah paperwork and this and that yeah um, but that's what when we were on our way to the hospital and Anne, she kept saying god is good god mm-hmm. is good and it's not that i didn't also feel that <laughs> i felt like i was kind of in a state of spiritual shock where i couldn't just be thankful because mm-hmm. like I kept going through like all the different things that could have gone wrong. Like we didn't hit any pedestrians or people yeah. on the road. Yeah. We, we stopped rolling when we were right side up. Uh-huh. I still had my passport and <laughs> we still had all our medication and nobody was really hurt. I just, yeah, I couldn't, I just couldn't get to the place of just being like, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> thank you God for bringing me through this. Right. Even though I felt like it was a complete miracle because because it didn't, it didn't hurt. Like nothing. <laughs> it didn't hurt. It didn't. Right. I mean, it kept saying that afterwards. Just, I can't believe it didn't hurt. Yeah. Yeah. It, that is crazy. It is a nothing short of miraculous yeah. story. And I, you know, that's, you know, we, we downplay it a little bit online and stuff like that, just because I didn't want it to, to distract from what we were doing while we were there. Yeah. So like every post after that would have been, so we talked to this person. Oh my gosh, you doing okay from the accident? Hey. <laughs> There's a new church and yeah, but are you okay? Right. Yeah, it just yeah. would have been so, kind of been so sensational. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So how was, how was the after effects of the trip different this year? So last time it was this reorientation of yeah. worlds and perspective. And this mind. year I felt like as soon as we... As soon as we set out on foot, footing, is that what they call it? Yeah, as soon as we were footing. footing, it just felt so just, just a relief, peaceful. Like we are finally here doing what we're supposed to be doing. We're yeah. finally on mission. Um, and it, I remember last year, Friday when we were leaving and just feeling like I have to come back because I felt like I was just getting, getting into the, um, the rhythm mm-hmm. of what we do there. And then this year, it just felt like I was able to pick up where I left off last year. So it just felt really, felt really natural. Yeah. Yeah. It, it almost is like you got to go more than once. That, and it's, I, I mean, we, we keep trying to figure out how we can do training better. It's just like, it's like, it's like classes, uh, the way out of my <laughs> wheelhouse on this, you know, like when you give birth, <laughs> You know how that is. Yes. Like we're on the same page there. It's a very hard physical day for husbands. It really as, is. Yeah, as Eric has told me. Yeah. <laughs> Just because it's harder for you doesn't mean it's easy for us. <laughs> um, but like all of the all of the reading and the classes and all of that. And that first one, you're like, holy crap, well, what is going on? All that on? book knowledge just goes right out the window. Right. You can't even function because yeah. you're just so, you're tired uh-huh. and you're just overwhelmed by the newness of it all. I, I That's a good question. I don't know 
how to to really train people when it's their first trip. But then the second kid, it's it's not like it's easier, but you're like, yeah, I know what this is. You can kind of enjoy the process. Uh, yeah, that's what my wife said. <laughs> <laughs> she was like, this is great. But that's that's where the second or probably third trip to Kakama is. It There is an enjoyable aspect to it because you're not so bogged down by being really confused. Yeah. Like how do we, how do we solve the situation for them or how can we make it a little bit better? You're, you've already accepted. Yeah. There's really nothing we can do to make their lives materially easier. Right. And then, and you, your processes stop, like your your brain trying to figure it out as it ends by the end of the first trip, Mm -hmm. beginning of the second trip, you're not even trying to do that. And now you're engaged Yeah, and you're present and you're, sharing the gospel, you're, you're encouraging Christians to, to continue to spread the word and build churches. Yeah. And you're like in a zone. That's what it felt like. I just felt like I was much more present yeah. with them and it felt really just refreshing and mm-hmm. <laughs> like, it just felt very purposeful. Yeah. Yeah. So I loved it. I mean, I love that aspect of it. Yeah. There was a, there was a moment on this trip where I, I could just tell, like I, I was actually nervous in the uh, um, Paris airport because I wasn't sure that the, that we weren't going to call the trip off. I think I was the only mm. person who was nervous in that way. Everybody that else was, to me. bummer, we're going to be too late. But I was thinking, all right, if we don't get there till Monday, and if then we don't have, because I didn't know what the flights were like from up, up to Lodwar. I knew mm-hmm. we couldn't drive it because there's ben- bandits um, if there's not like another flight until Friday, yeah, we have to leave on Saturday. <laughs> See, I was going the other direction. Like, can we extend our return flight a few days out so mm-hmm. that we still had time? But, you know, people have jobs and families and yeah. life back home. <laughs> you have a family. <laughs> yes. Yes. That's like one of these other things is that you have to – like Keith is 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 just starting to get that. I've I've been in leadership position on these trips enough to to ha- like force myself out of what I want and like try and figure out what is best for the team. And Keith is is in that spot now where he's like, ah, this is all right. I have to think about the global picture. Yeah, like, yeah, <laughs> kind of sucks. He handled it all so well. Oh, totally. I would have been just a basket case. Yeah, and he, by the way, was a basket case his first trip. Um, before Kakama, he, he and I just talked about this yesterday after church. Um, he he kept saying, I, I would ask him questions on our little debriefs in the evening and be like, I, I can't right now. Mm. This is going to take me six months. And then last week I was out of town. He led the debrief. Yeah. <laughs> so the, after the first trip, just trying to figure out a different culture and people and poverty and all that kind of stuff in a in a less crazy environment took him six months. And now, like, mm. two weeks after the trip, he's leading a debrief. Yeah. That's fun to watch. The debrief also, I mean, I think the team was probably pretty, pretty disappointed. Like, understanding that you couldn't be there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But disappointed. But it was a phenomenal debrief. So we actually did it Sounds at my like house. It. it was kind of yeah. kind of different because we're always at Keith's house. But it seemed kind of nice to maybe mm-hmm. have it at a different location. Well, you know, it's hard to, like get a house empty of children yeah. and children live there. I, I'm aware. <laughs> yeah. So Eric was so awesome with the kids and making sure that they weren't interrupting and they were gone for a long time. But then when they came home, he had them go in through the, the basement doors. Yeah. So they didn't come through the kitchen. But afterwards he's like, 
I can't believe you guys just sat and talked for four and a half hours. I mean, it was nonstop talking. Yeah. And it just was, there was so, so much that people needed to express. And, you know, it's like you come back and you're like literally annoyed by people that haven't gone on the trip. Right. Yeah, I know. It's like, it's like you're missing the team environment and you're, you're lonely and, and missing that companionship. But you're also like, I don't want to be around other people unless they've gone through what I've gone through. And yeah. that's, we needed that because you just have those experiences and you kind of want to be like, am I just a terrible person oh, yeah. being frustrated about this? And to, to have that reassurance, like, oh, this is how we're all feeling. And it's just part of the coming home process. Everybody feels like they're a terrible human being when they come home. Yeah. They, or, that they're not terrible. That they're a bad person because they think everybody is terrible. Yes. <laughs> I'll go, really? Yeah. You need a new pair of shoes. Really? Do you? <laughs> Let me tell you about a place in Kenya. Right. Oh, Simon, of course, has starts asking me about some Minecraft thing that he wants to buy. Uh-huh. I mean, it was like probably the night I came home and I just had to keep saying, this is not a good time to talk about that. <laughs> You know, I don't want to like bite his head off. Yeah, mommy's not in a good place. <laughs> yeah, it's really hard to to adjust back to a place of so much, mm-hmm. and just and people just don't get how much we have. Right. They One of my favorite don't. things to do is to talk to somebody who's middle class and tell them they're they're filthy, stinking rich. Oh, they're just confused by that. Doesn't make any sense. <laughs> but um, you know, I think a lot of times people go on these trips and they that's what they come home with is we're we're so blessed or we're so um, fortunate. Like I just really appreciate everything that I have. First of all, just material things mm-hmm. is not blessing. I mean, mm-hmm. we're, it's like, okay, yes, we have them. It's through no, um, nothing that we did to like create this circumstance of being born into a country where we just have access to these things. But I think um, for me, it's more that um, not that I appreciate all the crap that we have, but just that, it just really doesn't matter. Like all this stuff, it's so uh-huh. insignificant. That's, I think that's another frustrating aspect of coming back. And I felt it last year too, is when we're there, you had said it in a group text that like, we just have such clarity of purpose mm-hmm. when we're in Kakama and just doing the Lord's work and where there are no distractions. And then we come back and there are so many distractions mm-hmm. and it just feels like there's like a halt. Yeah. Of like kingdom building. Yeah. And, th- but they're still doing it there. Right. Right. And it, I go even a step further. It's, it's not that I, I get ambivalent uh, about the stuff. I, I actively dislike everything I have. <laughs> like I, I, I wouldn't quite go as far as to say I hate it, but it, I really angers me that I, I have things that I have to take care of. Yeah. You know, or I, I, that I feel the need to water my, my flowers and bushes. I hate that. Right. Because like you said, it, it doesn't really matter. And I, I just, I spent money putting water, uh, taking water out of the ground, put it back in the ground. Yeah. <laughs> that is And you're not ridiculous. having to make the choice to water your garden so that your children have vegetables right. or drink the water so you can stay hydrated. Like we, it's not even. Right. I just like, this is dumb. Why? Right. How about I just. Round up my whole yard. <laughs> Screw it. Who care? Well, people will think, I don't care. It'll right. lower your property value. Still don't care. Right. <laughs> like it's just when when you see what is required for people to live and and you know how bare minimum that is, and then you see people not quite getting that for generations, 
And then you go, I got too much crap. Mm-hmm. I do. This this is all distracting me. I think I I feel the need to have a nice green lawn. Don't need that. So we put time and effort into it. Yeah. Yeah. Feel I feel the need to have uh I feel the need to drive someplace. I feel the need to whatever. Get stuff done. It's 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 expected of me. It's I feel the need to have clothes that are at least presentably nice so I can stand up in front of a church. It has to be Sunday. a different outfit every day. Right. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that is hard about the coming home. It really is. Mm-hmm. We we just have so much stuff that it's it is in our way and it makes what Jesus says about the kingdom so much more clear. Like it is it is harder for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich person to get into the kingdom of heaven. And so that's that's like wow. Mm-hmm. I think Americans go I'm glad I'm not rich. that's why it's harder dude yeah it's because we're like we're just so clueless yeah i think yeah we are we are the richest people on the planet yep but i feel like we're um relationship poor well that's and that's the harder than the eye of a needle Mm -hmm. that is the and you know the, the text that follows is you know well that's impossible and jesus is like yeah turns out if you're gonna try and get that done yourself that's super duper impossible uh, good news. He's in the business of doing impossible stuff. And if I remember correctly, what follows that text is a miracle. Yeah. I think it's a healing. And it's like, that's an impossible thing for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. And he goes, watch, watch me do impossible stuff. <laughs> so there, there is this comfort even to the wealthy in that text. But the, the danger for us is that we look at that text and say, yeah, Bill Gates better be careful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, no. You're rich. <laughs> right. Knock it off. Yeah. So was the was there like a spiritual high on the trip highlight? Yeah. Was it the rolling over? <laughs> I think that that was a that was a spiritual moment for me. It it almost like um I was thinking a lot about it yesterday during the sermon. Mm-hmm. Actually, it's kind of a hard thing for me to talk about, but I almost feel like <clears throat> Like God revealed this darkness in my heart, <laughs> like kind of, because I was distracted. Well, whenever we kind of had some downtime, not when we were in Kakama, but like back at the guest house, I had such anxiety over the drive back. Yeah, that I just couldn't stop thinking. I mean, I was there were mornings where I could hardly eat because I mean, two mornings, right? Yeah. Like, well, I guess Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, but where um, I just felt so sick with worry about. I knew we have to go back on that road. We, you know, Shara had said, we're going to have a a third vehicle to replace the one that rolled over and it will have seatbelts. Everybody will be in a seatbelt. But I knew that she couldn't guarantee that. Yeah. I was like, okay. (laughs) Yeah. And even, um, even when, well, it was like a wave for me. It was like always riding this wave, but we were, I was really nervous when we went back to the guest house to load up our luggage and, you know, have Mm -hmm. a third vehicle meet us there when we were getting ready to go back to Lodwar. And, um, just feeling pretty much like I was going to start barfing because I was so anxious. And, and then you prayed and I felt, I mean, it felt like a physical calmness just cover me. And I thought, okay, I'm going to be okay. But then I went to get into the car and I'm like, trying one of the seatbelts, the seatbelt doesn't work. And it was completely jammed. Like there was no way we're going to get it to work. (laughs) Then I look at the next seat over the middle seat. There's no seatbelt there. (laughs) 
Then I move over to, to the, like the last seat and um, cause Keith was going to ride in the front and like make sure the driver yeah. stayed at a reasonable um, speed. And I knew I couldn't be in charge of that because I was hoping I would fall asleep. Right. But um, then the third, the third seat, the seatbelt was also jammed and I was like in a panic trying to get it to work. And the, one of the other drivers, Lamech, who had basically spent the week with, mm-hmm. um, he was like, I mean, he could just, I think, see the fear in my eyes. And so he was like, okay, we're going to get this fixed. <laughs> so we were able to, yeah. to get that one working. But, um, so that was kind of hard. I just felt a little bit like, is my faith strong enough for me to be here? Because I, I'm putting all my faith in that seatbelt. Right. Interesting. When I know there was more that was happening on the rollover, it was more than the seatbelt that sure. protected me from bad things happening. Yeah. And- but it was kind of like, I felt kind of ashamed that I f- was feeling that way. Well, we ought to take precautions. I mean, like I don't walk around with, with dollar bills sticking out of my pants yeah. pockets. And I mean, so you trust God and be smart is, is kind of the, it's like trust, but verify, but yeah. different for the church. I don't know exactly how to explain it. So you, you take all the precautions that are reasonable and then you trust God for everything that is unreasonable. Like nobody dying in a rollover. Yeah. <laughs> so. Well, and I, I'm a firm believer in that, like, um, God works through our medical profession, you know, yeah. and that like he's, he's given us tools to make medical discoveries. And mm-hmm. so, and he gave us the tools to like invent make a seatbelt. Seat <laughs> yeah. Right. But I still, it just kind of had me, it had me rattled that, that I couldn't just say, uh, this is, this is kind of what, what was going through my mind. I know God's will will be done. Like, you know, whatever's going to happen on this drive back is going to happen. But if his will doesn't match my will, like if I come back without an arm or something, I'm going to be pretty mad. Mm -hmm. And that it it bothered (laughs) me. I'm going to be pissed off. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and that's, I think that was, so I'm always looking for the, what is God doing? Um, not, Not that God causes a thing, but a thing happens. Now, how will God use the thing? for this trip, for the church, for his mission, for his kingdom, all of that. And I think this is a really good reminder that this isn't a, a cupcake trip, even though we've had, we have been so blessed and and protected and all of that for so long. I think we got a little bit, uh, I mean, not complacent that we stopped doing anything the right way. We, our training is still there. Yeah. Um, we take all the same precautions we always take. But um, that just kind of reminded us, you are in a different world. Mm -hmm. You are in a different place. You are exposed. Um, You do have this this reality that something goes bad, something goes sideways. You are out in the boonies. There's not good medical attention. You're not going to have an ambulance show up to take you to a hospital. It's going (laughs) to be some random Kenyan on a motorbike (laughs) that's hop on. (laughs) That's how this is going to go. Yeah. And, uh, that, so that's just good, good to, as a good reminder. Cause yeah. you know, we keep telling people it's a, it's a safe trip. And I, and I stand by that because we take all these precautions, but I mean, that, a rollover like that could happen here. For sure. And probably at a faster speed and the car yeah. could flip more than once easily. Easily. Yeah. I, I, w- I would still say, you know, nothing was done super wrong. I mean, it was like, like, like anybody who made a mistake driving and got into a wreck. Right. We, we weren't going real fast. We were doing 50 miles an hour on a gravel road. And you know, I think that the driver of that vehicle, like Lamech, who was driving the, the 
like open air mm-hmm. um, truck, Jeep, whatever. He never wore a seatbelt. But the guy that was driving the car mm-hmm. that rolled over, he wore a seatbelt. I was surprised to find out he had a seatbelt on. I've yeah. never seen anybody in Kenya wear a seatbelt. Yeah. <laughs> well, and the driver that, that we rode back with, the yeah. owner of the car company, he yeah. didn't wear a seatbelt. No. <laughs> yeah. They just don't wear seatbelts. Right. <laughs> but I mean, yeah, so the, the accident, I don't, it's, it was a, um, a significant aspect of the trip for me, but it wasn't like the, the, the only, like I kind of how we don't want to like overplay it on, yeah. um, in social media. I, I don't think I overplay it too much in my mind. I mean, there are some things that, some positive things that I think I've been left with from it, but, um, but for only having, well, like a day and a half and then plus like that last Friday, I, yeah, I just, I'm shocked at how quickly, well, first of all, just how quickly things came back to me, but, um, that I was able to, without even really thinking about it, just immerse myself so much more in Mm -hmm. what was happening. And, um, Thursday, I just, I felt like I had the A team on Mm -hmm. Thursday. It was Peter Scotch, who I spent a lot of time with, um, last year, not enough time for him to remember that my name is Debbie (laughs) and not Julie. (laughs) Apparently we all look the same to them. Yeah, right. <laughs> but, um, and then Keith and Lori, mm-hmm. um, the four of us. And just like from the, from the first home visit that we did, it just was like, we were in a groove and, um, we, I think it was a second place we went to. It was this, um, it was like a, like a business, like a storefront. And there were all these, brand brand new old sewing machines i mean they just looked like antiques but they they were shiny i mean they looked like they'd just been taken out of the box so we were talking to i was um a guy and two women and they um i can't remember where they came from ethiopia probably keith always is so good with like all those details but group of 17 that had left together um i think not all of them had made it they didn't know where they were and so we talked with them. Somebody shared some encouraging words. I can't remember who. It's so strange because um, it was a really like powerful time that we spent with them. And then afterwards, there were pieces of it that I couldn't remember. Yeah. And um, somehow we realized that the the third person that was there, this young woman, um, was mute and deaf. And um, right away, I. I was like, we, we need to pray for her. And I don't remember going over there and like getting next to her so I could put my hands on her. And, but Keith was like, you were, you were, you were just like on a mission. You ninja over there is what I he guess said. So. And, and I think I also like handed him my phone at some point yeah. because I knew, Oh, we'll take a picture after this. Anyways, we wanted to know what her name was. Um, and so somehow the, the man that was there with her, like, was able to communicate with her. Can you write down your name? And it was like Daya mm-hmm. and really beautiful penmanship. I mean, so she had to have been, um, well educated. It just makes me wonder like how, why, how did she come to be mute and deaf? We mm-hmm. couldn't really ask her any of those questions, but, um, and I'm, I'm not the type of person that's like, Oh, somebody is, I mean, in that situation, when you're in Kakamu, you, you do have to be the person that says we're going to pray for you now, you know, but like, I'm normally not like, we have to pray for this person right now. Right. Right. <laughs> so it was just kind of out of character. And, 
I guess a little bit surprised me that I just right away was like, yes, this is what we're doing. And so I had my hand on her shoulder and then Peter Scotch was holding her hand. And I think Lori came around to the other side and Keith wasn't able to quite get close enough because there's all these sewing machine tables around, but he had his hand on Peter Scotch and um, prayed with her. And it's like, I don't know here if I'm asked to pray, it's like, I have to think so much about, okay, this is what I'm going to say. Like kind of have an outline. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's totally not like me, right? <laughs> not type A at all, <laughs> but the words just, they just came out. Mm-hmm. I don't even know what they were, you know? And, um, afterwards, I think Peter prayed with her some too. Then, um, I took a picture and then we're, we're leaving and Keith goes, Oh, Deb, here's your phone. And I was like, how did you get my phone? He's like, you handed it to me when you were, yeah, like ninjing your way over to the woman. You don't remember that? And I was like, that is, I have no memory of that. Then he was asking me if I, if I felt anything like physically when I was praying with her, I didn't, I felt like a spiritual peace and like calmness Mm -hmm. and just focus, um, which was a cool experience. Um, And he can tell you about what he felt if he, (laughs) But um, but then there it was strange because I did start to um, have it sounds weird, but I'd be we'd be listening to um, the refugees talk about how they came to be there, and my um my mouth would start to tingle like right around my lips, huh? And when I would notice it, it would stop because I would be like, oh my my face is kind of tingling, that's weird. I've never felt that before, and then it would just stop. And then I would just kind of dismiss it. Then it happened again. But of course, instantly I'm like, there it is again. It's that strange feeling. I've never felt that before. Mm -hmm. It was just like this prickliness. And I haven't felt it since. I probably felt it like two or three times that Thursday. Interesting. But it was like the second that I became kind of conscious of it and tried to to think about, well, have, have I felt this before? It would just instantly go away. Yeah. Huh. So I don't know what it was, but it was... It was there. Next time, just start talking and see what happens. Well, that's what I'm wondering. Was I was I meant was I almost being disobedient by like kind of going into my own head and like almost like retreating? No, but. no. It's it's like that. Um, the Eli Samuel where um, he hears the Lord and and he runs to the dude and says, "What do you want?" And the guy's finally like, "No, knucklehead. That's that's." Yahweh. Yeah. <laughs> Say, yes, Lord, I am listening. Yeah. Um, I think that happens with with Holy Spirit stuff, which, you know, Lutherans are always a little uncomfortable talking about. I'm not. And and I don't think in our in our church and our especially this team, we're definitely not. But it's so we've grown up so apart from it with a Lutheran background that when we put ourselves in a position where that's a more likely thing to happen it's very foreign at first. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's, that is part of what, you know, Keith has experienced that a handful of times and, and he shared with the team and he shared a little bit on the, on the podcast. Um, and we, he actually was planning on sharing it on, on the last podcast and we just kept talking and Ray, didn't. He needs a follow up podcast. <laughs> he really does. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's so many different aspects to what he was doing and he, he had to go to a meeting or something, but yeah, it's, I kind of talked about it in, the, in the sermon yesterday. It, it's fun for me. Not not because I'm a sadist and enjoy watching people be uncomfortable and wigged out. Yeah. It's more that I know it, it always leads to something really awesome. Yeah. 
So I, I don't know what it is. And, and I'm not like, like a spiritual gifts guru. I, I don't, I don't get them. I've, I've never spoken in tongues. I've never done, you know, I'm just not that guy who's got that gift to do something really cool, but I have been blessed to often see it in other people. Mm-hmm. And I think that's awesome. Yeah. And I, I like putting people in those places. <laughs> like, ah, it's going to happen. <laughs> it's kind of freaky. I bet. <laughs> yeah, because it's like, I don't know what's going to come out of my mouth. <laughs> right? And sometimes it's something really embarrassing. Like, I have one husband, <laughs> which I saw those guys again. And they said, they said, we remember you from last year. And it <laughs> came back real quickly. I'm like, yep, you were our translators. And I, I just... I just kind of was self-deprecating and was like, I was the one who said I have one husband. And they were like, yeah, we remember. <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah. Oh, yeah. For anybody great. not familiar, a husband of one wife is definitely a thing you have to say. It's it's one of the issues over there with, with polygamy and, and such. But there is no such thing as a wife with more than one husband. Um, well, there might be, but she's probably going to get stoned to death. <laughs> But I remember that that moment when um, when it was one of the ladies that we were with last year. She mm-hmm. spoke English well enough that she didn't need the translator. The translator was fixing, correcting my mistake when he would translate for me. But she caught it and started giggling, and then, <laughs> then kind of had to share. But it felt so great to laugh with them. Yeah, we had that experience. Um, you know, we only had one afternoon where it was just the women meeting, and you know, you're never quite sure what's going to be brought up. Usually, like heavy topics where most women here don't ever experience anything like what many of these women have experienced. And so it's just very somber and, um, sad. And, but, um, Shara, well, she had, it was, it was good this year. She had kind of taken Anne aside before we met before Mm -hmm. the, um, women's time started and said, um, this is your afternoon. Like, I'm not going to lead this. I mean, like last year we had Joanne to kind of be our facilitator and guide, which is so helpful because like for Samantha and I having just no experience with this, we like couldn't really talk for the first two days, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but, um, but, um, you know, so we started talking and, um, Shara helped facilitate the conversation a little bit, but it really was like, we were asking the questions of them we were sharing whatever encouragement like that just came to us, Bible verses or stories, um, sing a song with them. But um, there just was this heaviness. And at one point, Shara started asking um, questions like, what's something that bring, what, what's something that makes you laugh? Cause yeah, they live in really hard situation, but hopefully they're able to find joy or humor in situations. So we talked about, they they shared um, a story or two, and then I shared a story about Oren that um, that made them laugh, and it just felt really good to like authentically laugh with them. Yeah. You know, and I think that's something that um, you start to realize that even though their physical situation is completely feels completely wrong and inhumane, and um, like you just realize how much evil there is to put people in this situation. Like at, at the human level, we're not we're not different than them. Like they're, they're feeling isolated. Um, maybe a lot of times because they don't speak the same language as someone that lives near them or like, it's just so dusty that they can't, um, they can't leave their homes. Cause like the dust gets in their kids eyes and like yeah. they don't want them walking out in the dust storms. And so they just feel disconnected, um, from people. And 
I feel like we feel that way that way here too. It's like my neighbor speaks the same language as me, but our schedules are so busy that we never see each other. So we we also don't connect. And so a lot of that um, kind of feeling separated from people, it's it's the same. It really is. And it's it's and again, it's more of an indictment on us that we have control over that. They we choose don't. other things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We're in our own way. But it's, you know, <clears throat> for us this year, the men's group, I think, was way better, even though we only had a, a short amount of time. The first two years, we were really kind of dealing with basic, um, at, at core level, Christian human issues like, uh, can I have more than one wife? Like, that's the thing. Or can women wear trousers? Right. Uh, not pants because those are <laughs> panties, which every time you mess that up, you get a nice giggle yeah. like, and women wear underwear. <laughs> but the, uh, the discussion this year, I, I kind of kicked it off because they always look to pastors, just a big title. So pastor, can you give us a teaching? And I talked to, um, one of the leaders about a, a really interesting marriage issue that he'd had in, in the church that he was working with, um, it was Farah, actually, in his his congregation. And real similar to us, you know, a woman gets pregnant outside of marriage. Uh, how do we um, deal with that, uh, deal with the guy, uh, the father of the child and marriage and all this kind of stuff? Mm-hmm. Very similar to what we have. So I kind of walked through what I had talked with him about. A couple of cursory follow-up questions about marriage, children um, that are biblical, doctrinal. And then it jumped right into churchmanship which just showed me this huge uh, maturity where they're like, okay, now we're trying to work together as congregations and plant more congregations. Mm-hmm. And how do we bring up more leaders in the church? And how might we expand what we're doing here? And, and I just was like, holy cow, they're, they're, they have a lot to learn uh, as far as biblical theology and doctrine, but they have this other need of the church is growing. And I'm just running through my head of like all the stuff that's in Paul's New Testament letters. There, there's a lot of like, how do you deal with this issue? How mm-hmm. do you deal with this issue? How do you deal with that issue? And writing letters to Ephesus and Corinth and Philippi. Oh, man. It kind of feels like this situation. <laughs> it's like the New Testament is happening here. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, this is cool. <laughs> it's really cool. Yeah. And a lot of those same issues... You know, fortunately, in, in the New Testament, they had this this common language. Um, most everybody uh, had access to Koine Greek, uh, could read, write, speak, whatever it might be. And but they were still different people groups. You had even just in the Jews, you had the regular Jews, but then you had like the Hellenists, and you had you know these other. Some saw them as lesser Jews, and then you had Gentiles, whole different category. And now we're going to have a church with these people together. How do you do that? How do you do that yeah. when you've got some from Ethiopia, Sudan, South Sudan, and you're like, oh my gosh, this is the New Testament. Yep. <laughs> it's happening. So it's, that's kind of fun. Um, this is an academic, intellectual uh, observation. Mm-hmm. And then you have to actually do the work, and that works kind of hard. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so there's that. Yeah. The, the women, they're interested. Our conversation was different from last year also because they, um, they kind of expressed like if they're, we were talking about, um, 
like sharing hard experiences that you've gone through with a friend um, or like if there's a women's Bible study or something like a group that you could meet with and they don't have anything like that, but they, they are all for like having, having something for them, like at their church. It's like, but they don't know. um, They don't yet realize like you could just do that. Yeah. You could just start meeting Mm -hmm. Just say this day, this time at this place. Yeah. Yeah. Nobody's ever told them. Right. Well, and that's the thing. That's kind of what we were saying. Like we have women's groups at our church that will meet and study something or, you know, we'll talk about things that are bothering us or like might become a group where um, I'm having a hard day. Could you pray for me? Yeah. Or um, my kids are sick. Could you come and help out? It's like it doesn't it doesn't occur to them, actually, I think, to go to their friends for these kinds of things. Because when we asked them, like, who do you go to for support? They all said, well, our family. They kind of laughed at us when we said, well, why wouldn't you go to a friend? It's like, oh, that's not something that we do. We right. go to our family, but they're separated from their family. So they they are on an island. They feel like they don't have any support. And then you read the scriptures and it says, we are brothers and sisters in Christ. Mm-hmm. We are a family of God. And they like just just to make that that small of a shift to say, yes, you, you're not. we're not saying that this isn't your family, but we're saying in this place you you can be a family yeah. that is not not by natural birth but rather by the power of god and this promise of salvation so i mean that's it sounds crazy and i know people listening are like really they never never dawned on them that they can just go to a church and talk to somebody it was like the first year the women um the women's group realized like they didn't know where babies came from <laughs> right <laughs> so i mean it's right. it is it's so shocking that this, they just don't, they don't figure it out until yeah. someone just co- comes and tells them. <laughs> yeah. And it, I mean, when, when we think about like from our perspective, we learn so much so young, the church has always been around no matter where you are, especially if you're a Christian, the church has probably always been around. But I would say like the most valuable thing that a church has is actually Sunday morning, because even if you are the most heathen, pagan, Jesus hating person on the planet in in America, you know, because you're an American, if I needed to talk to somebody Mm -hmm. about Jesus Sunday morning Mm -hmm. and there they're like, what's a church? (laughs) Like, oh, you guys meet on Sundays? Yeah. What's what's a Sunday? (laughs) Exactly. Like they don't, some of them don't have the same concept of morning and time. Ethiopia time is a different thing. Right. That's, that's, it actually makes sense the way. Oh yeah, time. I'm sure that that our method of telling time just seems completely backwards. Oh, it really <laughs> does. Nonsensical. Yeah, when does the day start in the middle of the night? Right when it's still dark out. Day starts like six at six hours night. before the sun comes up. Yeah, day starts at night. Yeah, cool. That's a weird thing <laughs> for them. When does day start? When the sun comes up. When does the day end? When it goes down, dummy. <laughs> <laughs> so simple. Night starts when it's night. Hello. Like, no, 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 it's night, but it's not the next day. Yeah. <laughs> what? Yeah, it's a, uh, that, that whole concept of, of what a church does is, is, it's, there's so much more ripe to receive real authentic, like what, what Christ intended as a church. And I think that we have the same opportunities here, but just because we have so much more resources, mm-hmm. we get into, well, I mean, our church has got to be something different. Like competing with hope or competing right. with this other church or a better program than this, or you can't be a church if you don't do VBS, right? Or mm-hmm. you know, if, if you're going to be a church, you have to have 
X, Y, Z. Like, no, you have to have community. And if yeah. those things help with community around the gospel of Jesus, do that. But you don't have to have those things if they don't, especially if they don't point towards community. You're, you probably should get rid of those things. Which means getting rid of a lot of things, probably, in a lot of churches. Maybe not ours so much, but, let's, you know, we talk about, like, um, like things happen on church time here, like with our church. Yeah. Right? Like, <laughs> the speed um, of church. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so this is Eric's sixth year. He's finished, or he'll be starting his sixth year on council. Mm-hmm. When he started council, I said, the one thing that you would really, really love for you to do while you're on council is get people to wear name tags. Hasn't happened. Yeah, because I don't want to. <laughs> yeah, well, so then, so because Eric agrees, he's like, I have a hard time remembering people's names. So yes, he he's also um, an advocate for name tags. But now the worst situation has happened where council and elders wear name tags. So Eric's like, everybody knows my name, mm-hmm. but I still don't know anybody else's name. Mm-hmm. But so anyhow, like things like, yeah, church pace is just so slow. It often feels that way. But, um, and we joke about how things are so inefficient there and just like their sense of time is so mm-hmm. lackadaisical. And, um, but then, and it, it didn't really um, have much of an impact on me last year when, like, the first church we went to, I think it was Okacha's church last year. And yeah. we went to this, it was just like, um, it just had a roof and like sticks. Uh, sticks. <laughs> and, and Keith was like, this was their church last year. And and now now they have that building. Like uh-huh. they just got so big that they had to build this other building. And I'm like, oh yeah, that's cool. It sounds like they've been doing stuff. But then now for my second trip to go and um, like the Fort Jesus Church that wasn't there last year. Right? And then and and then aren't they going to have like something like 80 baptisms in yeah. January or yeah. something? And so it's like things happen so slowly there, except when it's like these really important things <laughs> like. Like, um, like the flood washed our church away. So we need to just, we need to quickly build one again, like John Jock's church. And so with, with that, so I'm, I'm just so excited. (laughs) Like, what is it going to be next year that, that they just like a seed was planted and they just took off with it? Oh, I, I suspect, you know, people will come together and they'll work to, to actually build a building at Fort Jesus, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and, uh, I suspect that church will grow tremendously, um, there will probably be more churches planted, more more people baptized, and that's that's the funny thing about speed of church. And that's you know I've I've worked with uh, probably the best council people in any church ever. It's when you look at our council, uh, and our, I mean our current council is as good as it's ever been. But I can go back ten years and just give you lists of people who are amazing, just heavy hitters in, in God's kingdom. And we've done a ton of work to reduce as much as we can, the, the stuff that just doesn't matter as much. I mean, there's, there's no way you can have a church that that doesn't have some tedious crap. Like we do have to pay the light bill. Mm -hmm. turns out like every month we have that click in our ears on praise team. Yeah. Yeah. It feels kind of tedious at times. I I know. I I get it. Like I totally get it. Um, so there's like this balance of stuff where like, is that necessary? And you have to have the tough conversations, but, um, we're at that point now where like the, the speed of church here, I know frustrates some people, but there's a lot more people who are like, I just like the fact that we're not crazy running around like, you know, yeah, constantly. Like next every thing, other aspect thing. of our lives. Yeah. yeah. So there's there's this we have uh, members who, who I won't drop their name. Well, they're actually 
not members. Um, they moved away and they, they live about like an hour and a half away. And they were in church yesterday and they come back like once a month. Oh. And this, this poor lady just in tears is like, I feel so bad because I, I love this place. I can't stop coming here. Can't stop coming here. <laughs> That's <laughs> and, not something to feel bad about. <laughs> and, but they but they have a, a great church in their hometown. Mm. And, I, and I know the pastor pretty well. He's a great guy and they love him. I mean, there's, there's literally nothing wrong with the church that they're at in their hometown. But they nothing. just feel connected to this place. There's something special about yeah. it. And, and a lot of that is um, we don't get crazy about programming. We, we want people to connect with each other and build relationships. Yeah. And it's slow and tedious, you know. And it takes effort. Yeah. To, you have to try. Right. Yeah. This, and this is why I'm against the name tags is, no, you have to work at remembering somebody's name. <laughs> You don't so, get to be like, I don't have to remember anybody's name. I'll just be like, hey, Mike. But, I, mean, I mean, it probably is a skill that can be worked on and developed. I, I really, um, I couldn't, you met the couple yesterday. Um, yeah. And I had chatted with them last week that we were sitting behind them. But I, I remember their names. And the husband was so, he's like, I'm, I feel really terrible. I can't remember your name. And I said, it's really a miracle that I remembered yours. <laughs> and I'm just like, not, nah. yeah. but I think... It is a good skill to practice. The The problem that I have is when, um, because I don't know or I can't remember the person's name, a lot of times I can't remember if I've met them before. So I've gone up to people here after oh, church yeah. and been like, oh, I, you must be new here. I don't recognize you. No, we've been coming here for four years. Yeah, right? Yeah, it's a little, <laughs> oh, sorry. Well, I would say that the follow-up to that, well, number one, the way to do that is, is to walk up and be like, have we met before? And if they say no, I'm like, I didn't think so. And if they say, yeah, like, I thought so. <laughs> I just did that yesterday. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to have to use a, a few faces. <laughs> yeah. I did that yesterday with a, with a guy, long story short, um, mutual friends. He's driving through town, wants to just hang out. I'm like, oh, my, my buddy and your buddy, same guy, so we should hang out. And he's like, well, my brother lives around here. His brother comes over. And I'm looking at this guy. I'm like, that guy looks familiar. But I, I have no idea. And mm. I was like, so I just walked up and, and that line is always, you look really familiar. And if they're like, no, I'm like, yeah, I just had one of those faces, I guess. <laughs> or like, yeah, we met. And I go, I knew it. Yeah. And I just, I just couldn't quite get the name. But so it works. Yeah. So and he people. was, he was actually, he stood up in a wedding I did here like eight years ago. Oh, wow. So there's no way I'm going to remember his name. But yeah. there was just something about that face. I was like, I've seen that guy. Yeah. Anyways. Um. Yeah, that's that's it takes time. It's uncomfortable. It's yeah, so much more expedient to so, wear a name tag. It's so worth it. You know, it's kind of um like going on this trip. It's it takes up a lot of time. It's not just the time that we're on the trip. Mm-hmm. It's all the preparation before and then all the coming home. Um, but it's so it just feels like with the team getting to know those people just yeah. It's just, it just feels priceless and you feel just connected to them. And now it's like, it's like this web because you feel connected, more connected to their spouses too. Yes. And past teams, like even people that I didn't go, um, I haven't been on a trip with them, um, but maybe they went the first time. Mm-hmm. Um, you feel a connection to them. It's like, you just start to have this common ground. Yeah. So yeah, it takes a long time, but it's really. Oh, it's, it. it's taken forever. I mean, we, we've been not this specific trip, but doing trips to Africa for seven or eight years now. And it has gotten to that point where it is. uh, So Eric Schillow, who has this like beautiful, deep wisdom that, that 
he he he's the guy who doesn't say anything for a long time and then says one sentence and you're like hold on i gotta write that down yeah. <laughs> and then think about it for a day and a half um he pulled me aside once and he said uh it was i actually i think i had a call to another church and he's he kind of was i go to him for coaching and, and mentoring on stuff and he goes this this africa thing is bigger than you and i was like oh i know like that was part of my goal and he goes, no, but you need to realize that this has become kind of the centerpiece of the congregation. And, you know, it, it has such an impact on the culture and the people here. Yeah. There's nothing like it. And I, he just always says it in a way where, like, I had to chew on that for a long time to figure out, like, is he complimenting me or is he just telling me something I don't know? It, it's like all of that kind of wrapped right. up into this. A lot hey, was said yeah. in that one sentence. Yeah, he just yeah. wanted me to realize that this is not just a trip we do. Yeah. That he can – and he's he's a guy who's never going to go. <laughs> like there's not – physically it wouldn't be great for him. Um, it is not his cup of tea. He's not wired for it. But he's like this is an important thing and, and he supports it. Mm-hmm. He's all in for it. So. Yeah, I mean it kind of makes me think about like future – future trips first so like i'm curious what's i feel like they'll start to evolve and change because we were seeing an evolution to like their journey mm-hmm. and so what's what's next for what we do there my my initial thoughts are, are still all pointing towards training on on church mm-hmm. and that that was a big revelation this year and I mean, I, and uh, it was also kind of fun. I've seen this uh, a hundred times before. I mean, even a little bit with with your husband and some of the current council members, who you know kind of go, yeah, I'm I'm not like a church leader, <laughs> like really, right? right. Do, do you know finances? Well, yeah, I mean, I'm an actuary and so, <laughs> like, okay, uh, you know that we need a treasurer, right? <laughs> like, well, yeah, I mean, I, but that's not like church leadership. Yeah, it is. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's a thing. <laughs> but but also compared to like the um the the pastors in Kakama the the leadership that they have and that um their level of understanding doesn't go much beyond the small, small catechism. catechism and like we have we just have access to gobs and gobs of stuff and yeah. so relatively speaking like we, we do have like each each individual member of the congregation or those of those of them that can get there they can go and like be a leader sure yeah, there's so much that we're not even thinking about, like Alter Guild. That's that's a group of of people, primarily women, who make sure that there's things in the church prepared for Sunday morning and lots of other stuff. Mm-hmm. And that's a problem that I mean, it's it's not like um, just the the Hoyts or or just the um, this group or that family that they all do that. No, it's individuals from the church form a group to to address a church concern, issue, mm-hmm. problem, whatever, whatever you want to call it. So what are your problems and issues? How can you come together as a church to solve that? So everything from our, our kids, our, our children are not, you know, the, the youth are kind of wandering away. Well, how, how can we address that? What are they wandering away to? How can we find a way to connect them back? Uh, I mean, that's helping them understand that church can address social issues if we take it for granted here. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, of course. You need to talk to somebody, go to your small group or go to your pastor or right. start a Bible study. 
do a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever it is. Yeah. I think that's our big thing. And um, everything from the children's ministry, youth ministry, how, how are they going to um, support and encourage each other, planting churches, supporting those churches, training for their leaders. Mm-hmm. Right, because their leaders are spread pretty thin right now. Yeah, they are. And they need to get some new people trained up. They do. And and there are plenty who are eager. And the, the real question is um, availability for that training support for those for those people identifying the right people yeah why does it have to be um that they go to a different location for seminary like aren't there i mean it's confusing right because they have they have cell phones they have access to internet yeah it would be it would be hard to do some of the training that if if they're going to become pastors um, the, the training that we ask of them is um, at a level that is pretty similar to mine. So Greek and Hebrew, that would be really hard to learn without an instructor on site. Mm. Uh, and it just takes a lot of time. And it, it's best to get in and immersed. Um, I know guys who've, who've gotten pretty proficient at Greek online. But again, you, you'd have to have a good laptop and really solid internet. Um, it's not something I think you can learn on your phone. Um but beyond that, you've got the Lutheran theology, the, the doctrinal classes, those things. And it, I mean, for some people, it might sound crazy to say, do we really need to ask them that much, you know, for them to be pastors? Hmm. Um, I don't think we want to reduce the, our expectations be, because it's a tough situation. I think that the expectations aren't, aren't really a problem, and, this, and especially they're way better at it. Like uh, Farah was telling me that learning Hebrew was not hard. Oh, wow. Because it's not far from Aramaic, and he knows some Aramaic. Yeah. And I was like, oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, Greek is a little bit more challenging, but uh, he's picked that up real quick. It's um, it's not that they're less intelligent because they're in a refugee camp. Right. They have just the same abilities. And man, I went to seminary with some real knuckleheads. <laughs> I could tell you. <laughs> like snuck in with a C minus. On a whole different level. He's a smart guy. Yeah. There's a lot of smart people. Just like there's a lot of smart people here. And there's some knuckleheads there, like there's yeah. some knuckleheads here. We got to spend more time with for our last year, but this year he seemed like a completely different person to me. Like he's grown up. <laughs> he's kind of seemed like like an adult now. Yeah. <laughs> and just um he was just a little bit more um, kind of aggressive last year. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, He's learning how to be, Keith said it best, and we even said on the last podcast, learn how to be a pastor. Yeah. Yeah, for so. sure. And a lot of that is seminary. Mm-hmm. So we, we and it's like, gosh, we want to hurry up. Well, what we can do is, you know, backfill a little bit with evangelists or other trained leaders who aren't pastors while they're doing that. But, I mean, this is the way it, it was in the New Testament. You know, you started with 12 dudes. And and then you just kind of kept pressing and pressing and mm-hmm. more leaders. And um, you had guys screw it up. You know, you, you had people who d- didn't do the right thing. Um, and you had conflict between Paul and Peter. And, yeah, it's not going to be perfect because it's, it's earth. Yeah. <laughs> people are involved. <laughs> so. Yeah, the imperfect thing that I am having a hard time with is um I had been thinking about I could I couldn't remember his name, 
um, but James, mm. wondering um, kind of all week, well, as soon as we got to Kakamo, if we'd see him. Because we saw him at John Jock's church, and um, he came to play the drums last year. Yeah. And I think he translated for us and yep. just made such an impression on me. And um, so kind of was expecting, maybe we'll see him again at John Jock's church. And then didn't see him Wednesday, didn't see him Thursday, and then got the news on Friday that he was, he'd been murdered. Yeah. And it just, it just felt like a blow to the gut. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there was, there's a lot that he had invested himself in and a lot that had been invested in him and it was going well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I bet that's how they felt about Paul. Probably. <laughs> Like, how many more New Testament books could he have written Right. if he wasn't martyred? Yeah. Somehow God's, uh, God's will is done, and the church prevails. And Yeah. And then um, I wish I could remember the name of this guy. He's, uh, um, he's the one that sang in the youth choir last year, but then basically kind of led— Let's let the conversation after lunch. Is it Simon? I think Simon is, is his Christian name. He goes by uh, on Facebook. It's a much different name that my face won't do. Oh. <laughs> so, but Simon. wasn't that just amazing? Like, yeah. Like last year, I remember him standing in the back, like holding a kid, mm-hmm. singing um, like youth songs, youth praise songs. And then this year, he's standing in front of a group of people talking about like the state of his church. Yeah. Yeah, he went from from the youth group to like president of the congregation yeah. in a year. Yeah. So it's like, oh, interesting. You just uh-huh. kind of rose to the occasion. Like, Somebody stepped up. Yeah. That was yeah. pretty cool to see that. And and he and I had a, a great connection. The first year I went, um, I, I mean, I just, I like him, number one. He's, he's There's just something about the fact like he's six foot ten <laughs> and like 18, you know? I'm like, dude, this is... And he sings so loud and like so exuberantly, his hands in the air, yeah. big smile on his face. I was like, dude, he's just a kid. This is awesome. This kid's great. Second year, he was like, I'm so glad to see you again. I was like, it's great to see you. Like yeah. shaking hands. I and mean, it's great. And then this year, it was like, welcome back, brother. Let me tell you about what we're doing in our church. And I was like, whoa, <laughs> somebody grew up. <laughs> like, it was cool. But that's where, like, kind of going back to what Shiloh said, this Africa thing, it's bigger. Mm-hmm. It's bigger than you. It's bigger than me, bigger than our church. Mm-hmm. When when we see, like, just how much it means to them that we we said we would come back, and and here we've come back. Yeah. And so it's like we have we have to keep going. <laughs> I know, I know. And that was um, what I I kind of said that a couple of times there. And the more I think about it, the more more significant it even feels like the it's not again god didn't roll over a vehicle but the the word to the people is this very difficult journey was very difficult on us this year and people were in a terrible car accident and they get terrible car accidents i mean they they understand like the exposure and the um how close you are to catastrophic Mm -hmm. you know i mean there's there's a lot of stuff that happens to us here that's like, I better go to the emergency room and be okay by tomorrow. Where there it would be like, ooh, you're probably going to lose that arm. Yeah. <laughs> that's, and we don't have any pain medicine. Yeah. That. That's going to suck. <laughs> you, you might die. So they get it. Like, a car, you guys were in a rollover car accident. Like, yeah. And then to be able to say, but we're not discouraged. We'll be back next year. Mm-hmm. 
wow, these, these people mean it. And it was so punching through an adversity like that. And what I, what I also thought was great is I didn't spend a minute trying to coach the team up and like, no, no, we're going to get through this. I promise. It just went like, yeah, no, let's go. We're going to get through this. <laughs> Got to kind yeah. of step back and be like, oh, I mean, I would have said that too. <laughs> I mean, honestly, though, if I could have gone home, like right when we were at the hospital, I just wanted to go home. <laughs> but I also felt like um, I, I, I will be disobeying God if I don't go yeah. to the camps. And of course, once I got there, it felt like this is where it was supposed to be. Oh, sure. Yeah. And little little seeds of doubt like that. Like I said, when I was in Paris, I was like, geez, I might have to call the ball on this one and be yeah. like, yeah, we got to go oh. home. That would have just sucked. <laughs> I totally would have. <laughs> uh. That was, Anna and I talked about it. Um, you know, on the one hand, Josh was really excited about the possibility of getting stuck in Paris no. one more day. It's like, you just kind of want to hug him and be like, I just love your optimism. And yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Everything is great. Yeah. I'm like, it, it's help. It is helpful because otherwise <laughs> I think I just would be crying. Yeah, right. But you know, with Anne and I and having, we, we give up a lot to go on this trip and being away from our kids and mm-hmm. our husbands and, you know, mi- we're missing out on things back home. And so the time that we were in Paris, it's like we wanted to either just go home and be with our family or we wanted to be in Kakuma. Right. But we did not want to be in Paris. Right. It's like it's, it's, it's different if you had flown there to be on vacation with your family. Yeah. But that felt like the worst place for us to be. Yeah. I wasn't a fan. And it was it was great to have, you know, Captain Silver lining on the, on the trip. Like, yeah, no, this is great. <laughs> I mean, I mean it, just, he, it lifted everybody's spirit. Yeah, you know? and he—he was, like, yeah. he was my angel. He was my seatbelt angel. So it's <laughs> just so fun. Every yeah. everything was so great. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah, that's and it was just kind of contagious. You know, you'd, you'd yes. kind of giggle and laugh, and he'd be like, "No, this is gonna be fun." You see the fireworks from Bastille Day. It's gonna be great. <laughs> Parma pizza. Oh, that's what he wanted yeah, to. Yeah, we could go to Parma pizza. Parma pizza. Yeah. <laughs> And then the 11.30 p.m. push-up contest. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> went exactly as I thought it would. I need to train more for that. That's that's how I feel, yeah. <laughs> I'm training to hit 35. I, maybe I shouldn't say what the number is, but I want 35 push-ups next year. Yeah, I need to. And so. we need for Josh to not be there. <laughs> Josh is not allowed. Uh, yeah, that's going to be on the on the application. How many push-ups can you do? Just, he could just ref the push-up contest. There you go. Yeah, yeah that one exactly like anticipated. Yeah. He's he's in pretty good shape. But I was excited just about like the like the participation is increasing. Right? I yeah, know. Yeah, like that Jason joined in on the fun. And he did well. He said he could do 30. And I was like, mm. uh, and I mean, not that he's, he's not out of shape, but he's a bigger dude he's yeah. like six it's two body or weight something. exercise yeah. yeah i was like oh, he, he cranked out 30 <laughs> i was like good for you there you go i was hoping that it just wouldn't happen <laughs> i thought when we left um rosa mysticas that night like okay i don't need to worry push-up contest isn't happening <laughs> oh no it's happening <laughs> and like i said i'm i'm going to get into training for it next time and uh, I've actually done a couple of Google searches on the best oh, way to increase gosh. your total push-up count. Okay. <laughs> and one of the things that, that is smart the way we do it is instead of just rattling them off, we have to do them at the same time at the same pace. That was better. That was a painstakingly slow pace. It was. Keith needs to count faster next time. 
Well, it, I, mean, I think it so lowers the total for, for everybody. Yeah. Yeah, that's what's good is that you can't because you have to stop at the top and hold your weight. So if you crank one off quick, yeah, you, it's that's almost like cheating. Were you were you watching Josh at all during? I mean, you're probably focused on your nah, push-ups, not but mine, huh? I get to see him like looking around with each <laughs> rep. <laughs> yeah, I'm controlling my breath. <laughs> Deep I just knew there was no contest. Focus. I went as long as I could. And I was like, even if I do one more, Josh will do one more after me. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> I, I I wanted to beat Halifax. <laughs> that was my thing. I got past him and I was like, all right, I, I said I could do 35. I got to 34 and I was like, I don't need to do 35. I improved over last year though. I think I was like 27 last year. Yeah. And then I got 29 this year. Although when I watched the video, I'm like, eh, I don't love my form, but you know, just. <laughs> well, this is not a form contest. <laughs> I'm going to stick around for him. Yeah. But yeah, that was fun. Uh, it was, it was a good way to wrap up the the trip. It is, regardless of, of how much we don't like it when people ask us if it was fun, a lot of fun is had. Yeah. We kind of, we have to make make our own fun when we're there. And yet you have to find horrible things funny, like, like rats climbing up people's legs. That has to be funny. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> that was hilarious. Poor Keith. <laughs> Just... <laughs> Couldn't have to do a better He's been guy. Scarred for life, I think. <laughs> I've been scarred just sitting next to him and having it happen. <laughs> I was you were on the chair so fast, I didn't see it. I just turned back around. I'm like, Debbie's standing on a chair. <laughs> so look at that. <laughs> well, and then like the way my my shower doesn't, the water doesn't drain correctly yeah. out of that room. So it kind of pools by the sink. It's a low spot. So that's so I would leave my door open at night, is to try to dry out the right. entryway. And then, then the rat ran towards my room and I'm like, if it goes into my room, I'm going to be so mad. Cause last year, Samantha, she had mice in her room. Yeah. So yeah, they're there. Don't want it in your room. Yeah. (laughs) Anything else from the trip? Hmm. We kind of talked about all the things. All the things. We got it. We did like an hour and a half. Wow. Goes fast. It does. All right. Cool. Thanks for coming in. And there you have it. Um, Pretty cool conversation with a pretty awesome person who is uh, really discovering how much there is to do when it comes to, uh, you know, ministry, mission in uh, Kenya and here. Um, Yeah, great conversation. I really do encourage you guys to follow along with our trips when we go and consider consider contacting me about going because it's a pretty awesome trip and uh, available to anybody, like I said and keep saying, I think it's shifting towards training and uh, getting them to a level of understanding how to care for and encourage and, and be there for each other because there's just simply no way for us to stay there year-round, I mean, obviously. Um, and that would be the, the most sustainable, best option for them is to, to figure out life together in that way. So, anyways, uh, thanks for listening. Um, I appreciate you guys. You can always contact me uh, at Luke underscore Tim on Twitter or Luke underscore Tim on Instagram. Probably easier on Instagram. Uh, email me all the things with Luke Tim at gmail.com. Blah, blah, blah.